Hey there, mamas. I don't know about you, but I am often overwhelmed by my boys' big, angry, often physical outbursts of emotion. So how do we raise boys who know how to respond appropriately to their own feelings? That's what we're going to talk about in today's episode of Redeeming the Chaos. I'm your host, Laurie Christine. I am a mom of four boys, an author, a Bible teacher, and a certified biblical parenting coach. This is the podcast for moms who feel a bit frazzled and overwhelmed by the responsibility of raising boys. If you want your boys to grow up to be strong, courageous young men who are fully committed to following Jesus, this show is for you. We know that Christ is the only one who can redeem the chaos in our homes and in the hearts of our boys. I can't do this alone. I desperately need God to give me strength every step of this journey. I would love for you to join me on this wild, wonderful, chaotic adventure of raising courageous boys and connecting their hearts to Christ. So we've all heard it said that boys are less dramatic and emotional than girls. But we boy moms know that there is plenty of emotional drama involved with raising boys. It just might look a little bit differently. For example, boys are more likely than girls to have an all-out knockdown wrestling match over who has to take a shower first. Or a boy is also more likely to flip over a coffee table because his brother took his seat on the couch. Tell me that's not drama. Well, we have a very special guest on the show today who is going to talk to us about how to help our boys navigate their big emotions. He is not a stranger to many of you, as we have had him on the show before, and his interview on Redeeming the Chaos continues to be one of our most popular episodes. David Thomas, welcome back to Redeeming the Chaos. Thank you for having me back. I'm honored to be here. Well, I just want to introduce you guys. If you haven't heard about David before, David Thomas is the Director of Family Counseling at Daystar Counseling in Nashville, Tennessee. And he is the co-author of 10 books, including the best-selling Wild Things, The Art of Nurturing Boys, and also Are My Kids on Track. He is the co-host of the successful podcast, Raising Boys and Girls, which has more than 2 million downloads. Today, we are going to be talking to David about his newest book release, Raising Emotionally Strong Boys. I can't wait to dive in and learn how to help our sons handle difficult emotions and to teach them what it means to be fully masculine in today's world. So David, before we jump in and talk about helping our boys deal with emotions, I would love to talk just a little bit about masculinity in general. I know that you mentioned this in your book and on this podcast, we have talked a lot about what it means to raise our boys to be real men. So just tell us in your view, what is the traditional view of masculinity? And then what do you think is missing from that traditional worldview? Great question. And you know, I would say before I even speak to that, that I certainly want to acknowledge the fact that I think we have come a good way in terms of redefining or more accurately defining masculinity, I would also argue that we've still got a good ways to go to. And so I'm thankful for progress that's been made. I am excited to add to the conversation of how we can continue to move forward into what I would say is a more accurate definition for boys to grow up understanding. So I was sitting with a father in my office not long ago, and he said to me, you know, David, I grew up really absorbing two messages. And those messages were, don't feel and don't ask for help. And that's 
how I understood what it meant to be a man and what I saw with all of the males growing up. You know, he talked about his dad, his uncles, his grandfather. And I would say, I think that's a really great summary of what the majority of adult men that I know grew up with that kind of understanding. And, you know, we now know and have a lot of data on hand to confirm this, that that's basically the definition for what we call suppression. And I'm talking so much in this new book about expression. And I think that definition is not only outdated, I don't think that definition is serving men well. I think it's an incredibly harmful definition as well. And I think it explains a lot of why boys, adolescent males, and adult men lead some of the scariest statistics out there. I think it's why men lead the stats around infidelity, internet pornography, substance abuse, and suicide. Consistently, year after year, men are leading those scariest statistics. And if you think about the common denominator and all those ingredients, it is an attempt to suppress. And it's an, it's an attempt to numb out whatever I'm feeling. It is you know, an invitation to do everything on my own. Don't ask for help. The research keeps telling us over and over that, you know, men are more reluctant to openly discuss their health. Men are more reluctant to ask for help. And interestingly enough, when I was doing the research for this book, one finding I came across was the number of women who even go for their well visit with their doctor each year versus men who don't. And I think that's such a picture of it right there. We don't attend to our physical health. We don't attend to our mental health. We don't attend to our spiritual health. And all the different ways I think I bump up against that in my work, you know, one of the most common ones I would say the evidence of this is that over the years I have asked countless boys in my office, boys of all ages, you know, from elementary school all the way through adolescence, like, tell me who three of your mom's closest friends are. And consistently in my experience, boys can almost always name two to three of their mom's closest friends. If I flip that question and say, tell me who two or three of your dad's most important friends are, I can't tell you how often I see boys struggle. And that's not to say every boy does, but it is to say many do. And some boys can't get past one. And, and that's concerning to me because think about it. That's part of that definition of masculinity. Like, I don't need people. I don't need relationships. I've got all this on my own. That's part of that. Don't ask for help. So I am excited not to just talk about a new definition of masculinity, but to talk about what emotional strength within masculinity could look like. And I think being fully masculine means being emotionally strong. And I think it is most appropriately illustrated in my mind through the person of Jesus, who's my experience, the most emotionally strong man that ever walked the earth, you know, and think about all the different encounters throughout scripture that, you know, we have evidence, hard evidence of where Jesus felt something in his humanity. You know, think about his encounter with his dear friend, Mary, at the loss of her brother, Lazarus, who was also his friend. And the scriptures tell us that Jesus wept in that encounter. Think about his encounter with the disciples when we're told he felt afraid and he asked them to stay awake with him in the garden and they fell asleep and he felt lonely, he felt betrayed. The encounter he had with the tax collectors in the temple when he discovered they're not using this space as it was intended to be used, and we're told he felt anger. All this evidence throughout Scripture of where Jesus and his humanity felt all these things, all these things that we are going to feel as human beings, and for us as males that we're going to feel, and and figuring out how to name that and how to navigate that. That's part of what emotional strength is in my mind. 
So thank you for letting me give a very long answer to your short question. <laughs> <laughs> hey, no problem. I'm happy to sit back and let you share your wisdom with us today. I really love that throughout the book, you consistently go back to the example of Jesus and how he set an example of what a real man should look like and what true masculinity looked like. And, you know, the Bible tells us he wasn't like this big Superman, strong, like not even physically necessarily, but he demonstrated emotional maturity and emotional strength and spiritual strength. And I would love for our boys to grow up seeing that as that's what a real man looks like. It doesn't mean that you hide your emotions. And and I, I agree with you that I think so many men struggle with building those close relationships and having that connection. And I thought it was interesting. You mentioned all of the statistics of men who have pornography addictions or alcohol addictions or suicide rates. But the men who actually get into those recovery programs, one of the keys to those recovery programs is expressing your emotions and having connections with other groups of men. Those are the key components to dealing with that addiction, which is so interesting because the lack of that then, therefore, the lack of that connection and the lack of that expression of emotion then leads to to those addictions as well, or at least correlates with them. I, I mentioned earlier before we started recording that this book is just so biblically based. And I love that your view of masculinity and the way you talk about how boys can deal with emotions and how we raise our boys, you keep going back to the Bible and you keep going back to the example of Christ. So I, I really appreciate that. And I know our moms listening will want to know that as well, that this is a really great book that I can recommend to you guys. So let's jump in and talk about boys and their emotions and how we how we deal with them. We talked a little bit about how our society has taught boys to repress their emotions, but why do you think that boys struggle more so than women, more so than girls to express their emotions or to handle those big emotions that they get? I think it starts at the very beginning. And if, you know, any parent listening would simply even think back to those early pediatric visits, those well visits we did with the pediatrician where, you know, at the 12, 18, 24 month checkups, we're having pediatricians ask us questions like, how many words is he saying? How many words is she saying? And what the research would tell us is that even at that early age, girls are saying two to three times the number of words that boys are. And think on that for a moment. If her general vocabulary is larger, understandably, her emotional vocabulary would likely be larger. So I think from the get-go, we're going to have to labor longer in that space of helping boys develop what I call an expansive emotional vocabulary. So that's kind of the starting point. And then just a few years down the road, somewhere around 9 to 10, research would tell us that boys begin to channel all primary emotions, fear, sadness, confusion, disappointment, into one emotion, and that's anger. And then think about it culturally, we send all kinds of messages to boys and to adult men like anger is okay. That's fully masculine. Sadness, fear, that's not okay. I think we send so many messages along those lines to boys. So if the process starts at the beginning that I have fewer words, a less expansive emotional vocabulary, and then a decade down the road, I'm beginning to channel all primary emotions in, in that direction, you see that we're just going to have to always be working harder to help boys develop these emotional muscles. And so 
I love a point you made on the front side of our conversation that I want to go back to. You know, I have long heard adults say, I think it's a common belief for many adults that boys have fewer emotions. Girls have more emotions. Boys have fewer emotions. There's actually no science to back that up. Zero science to confirm that. I think it's simply that boys have fewer words to articulate their emotions and they have fewer skills to navigate their emotions. But, you know, I've laughed with parents over the years. I said, you know, I'd invite you to just turn on ESPN at any point during the day and you will see plenty of evidence where males are full of passion and emotion. (laughs) Like watch (laughs) males at a sporting event on any given day and then come back to me and let's argue this point of boys don't have many emotions. They do. It just presents differently. And unless we labor longer, he's going to have fewer words and fewer skills in terms of how to navigate that space. Yeah. And I can totally understand how boys channel their emotions into anger. And for so long, I didn't understand that. I have four boys. My oldest is almost 12. And then my youngest is six. But several of our boys just had issues with anger. And I had reached out to you a year and a half ago, just on a professional level saying, what do we do with our son? How do we navigate through this? What's going on? Because everything was coming out as anger. You know, if he was embarrassed, He felt like he needed to hurt somebody or if he hurt his toe, you know, he didn't want to hug. He wanted to punch somebody. (laughs) So anything would just come out as anger. And yeah, learning to navigate that is is tricky for sure. It is. And I think unless we teach boys how to look underneath the anger, they'll stay stuck in the anger because anger is a secondary emotion and there's always something underneath it. And I, I love even the example that you shared. I share a somewhat similar story in the workbook I wrote for elementary age boys, strong and smart. And it's a story about a first grade boy who was assigned as many kids are assigned at the beginning of of the school year. He had to come up with an all about me project. And he basically had to bring in a poster the next day that included five photos that told something about him. And so he and his mom sat down and they pulled some pictures out of photo albums and they had over 20 photos they were trying to you know, work down to the top five. And as they were working on this project, she could see clear evidence of where he was getting amped up. Like he was Hmm. gritting his teeth. He was clenching his fist. He was real short in his responses. And his very wise mom looked at him, which is a great practice to do and said, Hey, I'm looking at your body and I can tell that you are feeling angry right now. Why don't we take a break for a couple of minutes and give you a chance to work through that anger? And he said, no. And she said, I can tell you need that even if you can't tell for yourself. And then he said, which is kind of funny to think about now, he's like, I'm not angry, (laughs) which is so comical, you know, as he's screaming in an angry voice. And she said, buddy, you clearly are. And about that time, his dad walked in the room, heard the yelling, and he flung all the pictures off the table. You know, it was just so evident. The anger was just coming out sideways. And Long story short, to kind of finish that, what the mom discovered later, she had suspected and confirmed was there when he had had an opportunity to work through some of that intensity, the physicality of that emotion, which we can talk more about, is that he was able to say through tears, I feel embarrassed. I feel worried. I'm afraid that people are going to make fun of me if I choose certain pictures. And there was this, he wanted to put a picture of him in a scout uniform, but he didn't know other boys in the room that were scouts. And he was like, are they going to make fun of me when they see my uniform? And so... There it is. Unless we develop those skills, he'll just stay stuck in that angry place and he'll stay stuck in those patterns of just it comes out sideways. And I would say to that story, mom's listening. In my experience, you are 
the safest place on earth for most boys. And what that means, what that translates to is that you will likely over the course of his development get the most of who he is, which includes the best of who he is and unfortunately the worst of who he is. And in my experience, unless we're interrupting those patterns, it will not only affect him emotionally, it'll affect him relationally. Because what I've seen happen with boys having done the work as long as I've done it is that if a boy stays stuck in that pattern of dumping all of his emotions onto his mom, he will simply transfer that pattern at some point onto a girlfriend, onto a fiance, onto his future wife at some point. And so he can do a lot of emotional damage and relational damage to the people around him unless he's developing these really important skills. Yeah. So what are some of the strategies that you talk about in your book? There's a whole, you have a whole list of different strategies as parents to help our boys navigate through some of those big emotions, both maybe proactively as well as in the moment. Yes. I would say the proactively piece is so key. I'm glad you mentioned that word because I think the best work we'll do in terms of building these skills will happen with great distance from a problematic moment. Like the worst thing that mom could have done would have been to say, okay, I can tell you're really angry. We need to brainstorm right now on things that you could do to help. And so we want to think about doing all that brainstorming work in a calm moment when he can think rationally and manage his emotions, not in the heat of things. And so that work, or I'd say the most important part of that work would be coming up with what I call a top five list. And I walk parents through in the parenting book and boys through in the workbook how to do that. And some of the rules of thumb I have in place for what makes a great top five list. And for example, here are three criteria that I always throw out. No screens. I'm okay with screens for entertainment purposes, but Screens are for entertainment, not for coping. And so rule number two is I want most of those to be movement-based because research would tell us, and this certainly aligns with 25 years of doing this work, my experience is that boys have a lot of physicality to their emotions. It's why toddler-age boys in a classroom are more vulnerable than toddler-age girls to biting, hitting, kicking, screaming. It's why adolescent boys are more vulnerable to punching holes in drywall. It's not to say girls don't, but it is to say more boys do. And so there's this need for release. There's this need to get that intensity out of me. And so movement-based strategies are one of the best ways for him to do that. And then my third rule of thumb is I want deep breathing to be on that list somewhere. So I'm automatically giving you one of the five right there. And the reason for that being deep breathing is something he can do anywhere in the classroom before a time test, at the free throw line before he's about to make a shot, in the dugout when he's feeling really overwhelmed before he steps up to bat. I mean, he can travel with deep breathing wherever he goes in this world, on an airplane before it takes off if he feels nervous. And so there is also an unbelievable amount of research that confirms deep breathing is one of the most effective, efficient ways for any one of us to create a reset in our brain and body. And so I want that one somewhere on the top five list as well. And so in the workbook, in the parenting book, I'm kind of coaching parents toward what it looks like to create this list, to create some space to execute this list, to hang this list up as a visual cue for boys. So there's a lot within that practice. I'm kind of just giving the cliff notes at this point, but that is a sure. cornerstone of the work of regulation right there. And one of the most important life skills I think we can be teaching the boys we love. So that top five list is like a list of outlets or coping mechanisms. Okay, you're feeling angry. What are you going to do? 
I'm going to go shoot hoops in the driveway. I'm going to go for a walk. I'm going to walk the dog. I'm going to pet the dog. Like those kinds of things. Is that what you're Absolutely. you're talking about there? Absolutely. A hundred percent. And think about it. We can just brainstorm away. You know, I think a boy given the opportunity could come up with over a hundred ideas and I'm only asking for five. Yeah. And then I would also say within that, you know, I talk a lot about identifying some space for him to work through as well. And for parents listening who have kids 12 and under, those kids are in terms of their cognitive development in what we call concrete thinking. So the world is very black and white. And anytime we can create concrete experiences, it's really helpful for those kids. So if I have a set aside corner of a rec room or a mud room or the garage that we're going to call the feelings fort or the calm corner, we name it anything that we want to. That's some of where we're going to accumulate these strategies and skills so that boys have an opportunity to go there when they're amped up rather than just staying stuck in an exchange screaming at a family member. And we as parents also want to be going to that space and modeling for boys what it looks like to do the work of regulation. In fact, I want to really encourage any parent listening, think about as often as possible what it would look like to narrate your emotional experience on behalf of the boys you love, which creates a concrete experience as we're discussing. So for example, if you're stuck in traffic at some point later today, I want you to say out loud, you know what? I feel tensed. I feel worried right now. I'm afraid we're going to be late. There's more traffic than I thought there was going to be. You know what I'm going to try? I'm going to try turning on some calm music and see if that helps. I'm going to try a minute of deep breathing when I get to the next stoplight. You know, whatever it may be, narrate the experience knowing that I talk about this all the time. Kids learn more from observation than information. I wish boys had an opportunity to have their parents come home from work and say things like, you know what? I had a really stressful day. I'm going to head to the feelings for it for a couple of minutes and do some jumping on the mini trampoline we bought at Target and put in our feelings for it to help me work out some of that stress and frustration before I come to the dinner table. I wish that kids had the opportunity to hear parents naming feelings and doing the work of regulation in front of them. That is also the reminder that this is human work. This is not just kid work or adolescent work. This is not something that we just outgrow by the time we hit our 18th birthday. This is something we're going to need for the rest of our lives. And, you know, I have had more incidences in the past year where I have seen evidence of adults who have not developed a top five list and have regulation skills in place than maybe any other time in history. And it's heartbreaking to me to think about how few opportunities. I was in the airport not long ago. I don't know if you remember the weekend a couple of months back that the airline industry set a record number of flights that were delayed and canceled. And I was actually flying from Nashville to Orlando that day. And I had three delays and then two cancellations. And I was trying to get to Orlando for a speaking engagement and feeling really stressed. And I was trapped in the airport with thousands of people who were experiencing delays and cancellations. I have never seen so oh, many yeah. adu dysregulated adults in my life. I saw two oh, adult men, professional men, men dressed in suits who ended up being handcuffed and taken out of the airport by security. Oh guards my goodness. For getting That's volatile crazy. with a gate agent. Can you believe that? Like so dysregulated, they were screaming and volatile to the point that I think these individuals were fearful they were going to become aggressive. And I thought, this is unbelievable. Like, we're talking about a flight delay. We're not talking about anything other than, at the end of the day, what is just an interruption. Yeah, It's a hiccup. Yeah. Now, I'm not trying to play that down. I was stressed myself, but 
evidence of where grownups haven't developed these skills. And I think if we don't have these skills and aren't practicing these skills and modeling these skills, how in the world do we expect the kids we love to develop these skills? Yeah, that's so good. Oh, my word. So I have so many thoughts from what you just said there. I want to go back just real quick to the breathing that you mentioned. And it's so funny because I highlighted that and underlined it in the book because you know, you always hear, well, take deep breaths, do your breathing, practice your breathing. And it's just something we hear a lot. And in my head, it was always like this weird woohoo kind of thing, you know, (laughs) oh, just do your breathing, you know, and I never really thought through what it was actually doing. But I love how you spelled out the science behind it. And yes, obviously, we know we need our bodies need oxygen and air to breathe. But tell us a little bit about what the oxygen is doing in the sections of your brain, like you talked about how that that connects with emotions and rational thinking and that kind of stuff. Yes. And, you know, I think it is of such great importance that we do talk about that because I'm so grateful for your honesty. In my experience, I think a lot of adults believe that. And in my experience, I think even more people of faith, more Christians do. They think it kind of sounds like doing the hokey pokey and turn yourself around. And we have overwhelming amounts of research. Yes. And the reality is, I think the Bible has a lot to say about breath, about having a sound mind. You know, Mm -hmm. it, it has much to speak to in that space. And in my mind, it's not all that different than how God designed our physical bodies that if I was on a walk this afternoon and I tripped and fell on the sidewalk and cut my arm. What you and I both know would happen is that God has designed my body, that that cut would scab over and that eventually that scab would fall off. And that eventually I wouldn't likely even be able to tell where the cut was at some point because God created my body in a way that it could heal itself, which is just miraculous and incredible when we think about it. He has equipped our bodies in the exact same way that we can create this calming effect through something as simple as breathing. 20 seconds, the research would tell us, just 20 seconds of deep breathing begins to reset the amygdala. Now, if we double that and go to 40 seconds, we're getting twice the benefit. If we go to 60 seconds, triple it, a full minute, we're getting even more benefit. And what's at play is that for any one of us, when emotions come into the body, our bodies start to react. And what happens physiologically is that our pupils dilate so that we could see danger farther away. Blood flow moves to the larger muscles so that we're tensed and ready. We could fight harder or run faster. Even our stomachs jump on board. There's less digestive activity, so there's more energy stored up at that point. Our heart rate increases. Okay, all these changes that are happening in the brain and body are designed, are perfectly designed for me to encounter what we would say is true danger. If I'm hiking in the woods and I encounter a bear, that's the exact physiological state I want to be in. That's a terrible state to be in when I'm about to take a time test as a student or when I'm a junior in high school and I'm sitting down and they're about to start the clock for the ACT. If I'm in that amped up state where my heart's racing and my blood flow's shifting, all those things, I can't think rationally. And I can't manage my emotions. So I've got to be able to create these settling effects in my brain and body. What happens in our brains, to to your great question, is that when any of us is calm, we have blood flow moving throughout our brain, side to side, front to back, most of it hovering around the prefrontal cortex where the frontal lobes are housed. And our frontal lobes do a lot of important things. The two most important, the ones I named, it helps us think rationally and manage our emotions. 
When emotions enter the equation, most of that blood flow moves from the front to the back, to the amygdala, that fight or flight or freeze part of the brain. And I can't think rationally or manage my emotions. So unless I can settle my brain and body in those moments, I can't engage these really helpful strategies that could create this incredible calming effect that God has equipped me to do. You know, one of the things I'll do in session with boys, I wear the Apple Watch and my heart rate is visible at all times. And so when I'm teaching deep breathing to boys, I call it combat breathing, by the way, in the book and the workbook. I learned that phrase from doing some work with Navy SEALs and Army Rangers. It's a required skill those individuals have to demonstrate as they're traveling through their programs, because think about it, those individuals are in life or death situations. They have to be able to think rationally and manage their emotions in order to make thoughtful, wise decisions that could save their lives and others. So when I'm with boys and I'm talking about combat breathing, I'll say, okay, let's look at my heart rate right now. When you and I do a minute's worth of deep breathing, do you think my heart rate's going to go up or go down? And kids always know, boys will be like, I think it's going to go down. I'm like, how many points do you think it's going to go down? And so we'll do a minute and then they'll look at my watch. Every time around, I can lower my heart rate at least a point, if not two to three to four, depending on how well I'm doing with it or how long we practice. And so I love that kids get to see that evidence. And then we talk about, isn't that amazing? God made our bodies in that way. Like I have the ability through something as simple as breathing to slow my heart rate down to begin to settle my brain and body so that I can think rationally, so that I can manage my emotions and make better decisions. So thanks for letting me teach that. Absolutely. I appreciate that a lot. Well, I know I would love to ask so many questions because there's so many good things in the book, but we're just going to have to send everybody to buy the book because you're going to want to get all of this great information. But before we Wrap up. You talked about the difficulty of adults a lot of times in handling their own emotions and how it's so important for moms and especially dads too, as men, as the the men male examples in our boys' lives, to be able to model what healthy emotional maturity looks like. So if there's any moms listening or any moms who who's husbands maybe are struggling to deal with their own anger, their own emotions. What advice do you have for those adults listening? You know, even circling back to what I shared on the front side that that father very honestly shared with me in my office, I think that's going to be true for a high percentage of dads. And I think that's okay. In fact, I even get pretty excited about that, that boys could grow up hearing their dad say things like, you know what, buddy, I didn't learn these things when I was your age. Or When I grew up, you know, the men in my family didn't know to do these really important things. They didn't know how to help me develop emotional muscles. And I'm so excited to be learning beside you, learning with you, learning alongside you. And I talk so much in the workbook and the book about how ideally I'd love for these to become family practices, not just practice for our sons, but things that we're all doing together as a family that, again, kids get to sit front row and watch the grownups they trust the most in this world doing this naming and navigating. So I don't want any parent to feel disqualified or discouraged simply because you grew up in a home, as I think most adults did, where maybe you didn't talk a lot about feelings and you certainly didn't have adults who modeled that well. You know, I I was with a, a mom yesterday and she said, David, we have four generations of addiction in our family. And I'm committed mm. with every fiber of my being that it stops here. It stops at this place. Like I am so committed to raising kids who are emotionally strong because I don't want them to fall back on what for generations has been where individuals in our family have gone when they've struggled 
with whatever is going on inside of them. And I'm just so committed to developing these emotional muscles early in my kid's life. But I do want to say to any parent of an adolescent listening, you're not disqualified. It's never too late. I laughed with a mom recently who said, she said, David, I bought my, I bought the workbook and I'm going through it with our son. And she said, it's been incredible to see him adopt these practices as a fourth grade boy. She goes, and I'm using them with my 42 year old husband too. And I said, fantastic. Nice. I'm, you know, I had <laughs> six to 12 year old boys in mind, but I think these practices could easily be modified for toddler age boys, for teenage guys. And again, for adults as well, these are family practices. So I just hope, I hope folks will consider that. And I hope my great desire with the book and the workbook was I want to make this as user-friendly and as simple as possible. Every single chapter of the book ends with five intentional practices because I myself as a parent and a clinician, I know what it feels like to read a book and think, oh, I love this. I agree with this. And I have no idea how to execute this. And I wanted mm, every yes. parent to feel like, no, you got five things to do at the end of every chapter to put feet to these ideas. That's so great. So I am so excited for our listeners to get a copy of your book. So just to recap, the book is called Raising Emotionally Strong Boys. And then there's a, an accompanying workbook that goes along with it called Strong and Smart. And it says it's a workbook for boys ages 6 through 46. 6 to 60, exactly. <laughs> 6 to 66. Yeah, no, it, it says ages 6 to 12 on the cover. But I love that this would be a great idea for families to go through together, for a mom and son to go through together, for a dad and son to go through together. And then just put those those strategies into practice together. I think that would be so great. And I'm assuming we can find those books on Amazon. I will have links in the show notes. Where else would our listeners be able to learn more about you or your other books or resources, things like that? Thank you. You can purchase the book anywhere you buy books. It's available everywhere. And all of our resources are housed at raisingboysandgirls.com. So if you were to Jump on our website. You could find our podcast, all the books we've written, our Instagram account. It'll take you straight there. And we are creating a lot of video content on our Instagram account to try and push out as much helpful content to parents as possible. So just would love for you to check any of those sources out and see where they may be helpful. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I will have links to the website and the podcast and all of your books in the show notes. And David, we are just so thankful that you were able to join us today on the show. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure to be back with you. Thank you so much for joining me for episode 56 of Redeeming the Chaos. I hope you loved my interview with David Thomas. And I just wanted to mention, if you missed my previous interview with David Thomas, you can go back and listen to those episodes, and I will have links for you in the show notes. I had split the interview into two episodes. So episode 37 is what do boys need from their mom? And then episode 38 is how can moms connect with their boys? So be sure to go back and listen to that previous interview with David Thomas. And if you would like to read a blog version of this episode or to download free resources that will help you raise courageous boys, go to redeemingthechaos.com. You can find the show notes for this episode at lauriechristine.com slash 56. Be sure to join us again next week because I have a special surprise for you and I think you're going to love it. See you then.